The reading today is from Mark 7, 31 through 37 in the Common English Bible. That's page 1,225 in your pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. After leaving the region of Tyre, Jesus went through Sidon toward the Galilee Sea through the region of ten cities. Some people brought some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly speak, and they begged him to place his hand on the man for healing. Jesus took him away from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Looking into heaven, Jesus sighed deeply and said, Ephaphtha, which means open up. At once, his ears opened. His twisted tongue was released, and he began to speak clearly. Jesus gave the people strict orders not to tell anyone, but the more he tried to silence them, the more eagerly they shared the news. People were overcome with wonder, saying, He does everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who can't speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this reminder to us of your great love and the way you want to work in our lives. You want to work in the life of every human being on planet Earth. Help us today to understand more about how you can do your best will in so many people's lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, those of you who have been here from week to week know that during Lent and Eastertide, we have been looking at... uh, stories in the New Testament, accounts of how Jesus Christ has worked, and where not only did he teach and heal, but also the the word specifically tells us that he touched someone, he physically touched someone. We know there were many other miracles where probably he touched people. If he touched them this often, probably touched them in a lot of other situations also. But for whatever reason, In these particular accounts, we're told that he touched someone. Um, This morning, we're going to actually think about two of these stories. They're both in this part of Mark's gospel. Caleb read the one for us, the story of how Christ healed a man who both was deaf and he also could not speak. But if you have your Bibles open, you'll notice almost on the next page, in the very next chapter, Jesus heals a man who uh, could not see. He was blind. And one of the interesting things about that miracle was it was a two-part miracle. Some of you probably remember this. So Jesus touches him, heals him, and he says, can you see? And the man says, yes, I can. But um, it looks like the people around me are men. There looks like they're trees walking. So, I mean, some of you who also wear glasses uh, or contacts can identify with what, uh, what that gentleman was describing. And lo and behold, Jesus touches him again and heals him perfectly. Now, the interesting thing about both of these stories, accounts of what Jesus did, is that in both times, Jesus touched the person. As I've reflected on these marvelous accounts 
during this week in preparation, one of the thoughts that really, really struck me has been the way God has touched me with his love. And this phrase, when love touches you, has just grasped my mind. Um, you know, celebrating how God has loved me, but also contrasting that with people that I know that for whatever reason don't seem to feel the touch of God's love. They, they often are people that do not have faith. Our son has a marvelous friend. I respect him so much. He's almost an uncle to some of our grandchildren. And yet, as far as I know, he has no faith in Christ. And I ache for him that such a, a good person, it would seem, bright person, wouldn't really experience this love of God. All of us have friends like that. Sometimes I've said to myself, you know, I believe if, if that person only understood how much God loved them and what God could do in their life, they would do anything in order to experience that love. But it's as if, it's as if they can't see. It's as if they can't hear how God wants to work in their life. I've also been, as some of you have, reflect, been reflecting this week on my mom. Now passed away. I think I mentioned to you several weeks ago, she died, she was almost 100, I think 97 years age. Died on Easter Sunday. Um, my mom was a wonderful mother, but she was not a perfect person. She was a very fascinating, interesting person. But she was, like all the rest of us, not a perfect person. And I've reflected, how did my mom come to experience the love of God in her own life? Um, I think I, at some point, mentioned to some of you that, that my dad drew up, grew up as a, a street kid in the small southwestern New York city of Jamestown. And... Um, uh, he, he grew up on the street largely because he was brought up by his alcoholic grandfather. His stepdad didn't want him in the house, and so he had to live somewhere else. My mom's experience was very different. On the outside, her family would have looked like the kind of family that everyone likes to be a part of. Uh, her dad was a very responsible person, a craftsman, a carpenter by trade, but in the home, Things were very different. He was an angry man. He was a violent man. He was an abusive person. And her mom, for reasons that we probably all could quite easily understand, her mom was a distant person. In fact, my mom used to say about her own mother, she said, you know, I know my mom loved me, but I don't think she really liked me. And I guess it's understandable under those circumstances. My mom came to know Jesus. She, she loves to tell the, loved to tell the story. Probably tells it in heaven now, I'm not sure. But she loved to tell the story. It was in a, a public meeting. They called it a revival. And someone is preaching, and as she described it, she said, for the first time in my life, she said I'd heard the Bible stories, but for the first time in my life, I understood that God could make bad people good. Now, if you knew my mom, 
the last thing you would call her would be bad. But, you know, if you have a weight of sin in your own heart, if you sense that you are not right with, with the, the world around you, even though you look like a very good person, that's not the way you feel. And, and so she experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, and her life was turned around. Um, it's interesting. She, she felt the call to the mission field, she began a college, but she got sick the first year, and she had absolutely no support from anyone. So she was working her way through. She, got, she was frightened. She quit. And for much of her life, she was, she was really defeated because of that. I had to smile about this when, uh, when I was director of world missions, you know, for Free Methodist World Missions. I thought to myself, my mom really found her place where Jesus wanted her. She thought it was on the mission field. It was really taking care of seven kids. And then after we were grown up, she had foster kids. And when, that, when she kind of moved past that, she worked in the church daycare. And then it was the grandkids, you know. So she just blessed so many people. There are some legendary in our family stories about my mom and dad. They met at uh, an all-church fellowship um, welcoming a new pastor to the church, okay, their local church. And Dad apparently uh, kind of uh, caught Mom's eye. They visited for a while, and he said, Mary, uh, when, when, we walk home, when we go home, could I walk you home? And my mom must have liked the way Dad looked or the way he talked or something like that, so... She said yes, or maybe she was just happy to walk home with anybody. I don't know. But at any rate, she got ready to go home, and my dad was busy with some other people. And she just left. All of a sudden, my dad looks around. He was probably talking to some other gal. I'm not sure. But all of a sudden, my dad looks around, realizes she's not there, and hightails it out to try to catch up with her, which I think he did, because that was not the end of their relationship. But it wasn't all smooth. Um, they loved to tell the story of their first date. There was this, uh, this little walk-up, you know, it was before drive-ins, okay? Walk-up hot dog stand, Johnny's Hot Dog Stand. I mean, really, that was its name, if that's what I was told. Johnny's Hot Dog Stand, which had the kind of hot dogs everybody in the city wanted to go have one. So, Dad, wanting to impress her, invited her to go to Johnny's hot dog stand for a hot dog. The only problem was that when he got ready to pay for their order, he came up 10 cents short. Now, 10 cents, I mean, like, this was not yesterday. This was a while ago. So 10 cents was a lot more then than it is now. But fortunately, my mom was also working. She had a dime. She covered that part of the bill and all was smooth. The next day, as the story goes, Dad shows up at her door with a dime to pay her back. And Mom would say, I decided then that this might be the kind of guy that I could marry. Um, my mother experienced the love 
of God in her life powerfully. Um, and many other people are blessed as a result. And, and when I come to this text, again, I'm reminded about the way God works in our lives. God so much wants to communicate to us. You remember the story that Caleb read for us. So Jesus encounters this man who is both, he is deaf and he cannot speak. And Jesus turns his life around. It's a fascinating story. And one of the reasons I think it's so interesting but also helpful to us is because it, it gives commentary, I think really encouraging commentary, on how God wants to work in another person's life. So you have the people that are near you that you just ache that they don't know Jesus the way you do. I mean, many of us do. You know you can't uh, force them. You can't manipulate them. At least, hopefully, we do. But you still so much want them to know Jesus the way you do. In this story, and similarly, the story, the next story, the, the story of the man blind, this story illustrates for us how God, how powerfully he wants to work. And it is one of those parts of the scripture that it's, it's um, very helpful and interesting to use the classic uh, questions, what, who, when, where kind of questions. I mean, ask those questions of this story and you begin to reveal the backstory of what's going on. For example, the where question, where did this take place? As Caleb read for us, Jesus was in Tyre and he left that, that vicinity and he went to Sidon so that he could go down to the Sea of Galilee and he could go to Decapolis. That means 10 cities. That was a Gentile part of the area. He went north a long ways in order to go south. Probably this represents about an eight or nine month journey. It's a little bit like us today from Seattle going to Anchorage in order to go to Portland. I mean, like, why does this make sense? And the commentators asked that question. They think it probably was a teaching time of Jesus with his disciples. But it's fascinating to me that Mark, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chooses to put in that circuitous route in order for Jesus to get to the place where Mark tells us about how he transforms a person's life. And it just reminds us of this deep theological truth that God always is willing to go out of his way in order to help someone understand how he can work in their life. He's been doing it from the beginning of, of creation. He's been trying to figure out how he can communicate to us. He understands sometimes how difficult it is for us as human beings to kind of push through all of the fog 
that's created by a sinful world in order to understand that he really does love us. Because our emotions can sometimes be so powerful and we can get discouraged, depressed, addicted, all sorts of things, and he will go anywhere, do anything. I'm reminded of the powerful, powerful statement back in the, uh, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. You know, Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. And it was as if he could look down the halls of the future and see what God was going to do through Jesus Christ. And so he says, we all as sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And just before that statement, he says, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by our wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. Really, Isaiah was looking to the cross and what Jesus was going to do, what God was going to do for us. God has always been willing to go out of his way in order to help us understand. He, he knows it's not that easy often for us to believe, to even understand what we should believe. Some of you may remember the moment when Jesus uh, visited, visits on a well with a woman just outside the city of Samaria. And you may remember, in fact, it's one of the really fascinating parts of that story, too, that it is introduced by the statement where the writer says Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And we are never told why he needed to go through Samaria. I think we, it is illustrated for us, but there are a lot of possibilities. Some of you know, just in terms of geography, that you have Galilee down here, where, I mean, <laughs> yes, you have Judea down here. I do get mixed up on my geography from time. You have Judea in the south, you have Galilee in the north, and you have Samaria in the middle. And the most direct way would be to go through Samaria. You needed to go through Samaria. But, of course, the Jews, it didn't make any difference how badly they needed to go through Samaria. They did not like the Samaritans. And they would walk miles out of their way in order to go around Samaria. But Jesus needed to go through some, to Samaria. And I believe, we'll, have to, we'll ask the Lord when we get to heaven, if it's different, it won't damage my faith. But I believe that Jesus needed to go through Samaria because somehow he knew on the way these Samaritans needed to know he loved them too. God loved them too. They were not just simply outsiders, unable to know faith because they were only half Jews. And he did it by first visiting with a woman who had had a series of husbands and so transformed her life that the whole city realized how much God loved them. God is always willing to go out of his way. And, and you know who it is that the Lord periodically brings to your mind 
that you say, oh, how I wish they knew Jesus. I knew, wish so much they knew Jesus the way I know Jesus. You know who that person is. And, and we can be encouraged that God is more concerned about them coming to know him than we are. We can't manipulate them. We can't force them. We can't often even convince them, but we can pray for them. We can live that life de that demands explanation so they realize that there's something in us that's different than more, most of the other people that they know. So there, there's the where question. Also really interesting to me is the who question. So he did, Jesus did talk to one of the tough cases, right? Couldn't speak, couldn't hear. But that's not the only who here. Maybe you, maybe you noticed when Caleb read this, that this man was not able to come on his own. We're told there was some people who brought him, brought to Jesus, a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. So in this marvelous economy of God, as he is trying to break through to us as human beings with a glorious message of how much he loves us. He wants everyone to feel the touch of his love. In this economy, God doesn't work by himself. He has people who he touches them. Now, were all of these people true believers in Jesus who brought this man to Jesus? We don't know. At least they believed that if they brought him to Jesus, that Jesus might do something. But however great their faith was, God used them. And today, surrounding the people we care about. Or if you are struggling for faith, because you can come to church and struggle with faith. There's nothing magic that happens just because one regularly attends church. It helps, but, but something has to happen in your mind and heart. Or, or maybe today you're... You're on our live stream, and for whatever reason, by accident or because this is a regular part of your Sunday morning, you're listening to this part of the Word of God explained, and, and, and you realize that, that you don't really know, you've not felt the touch of God's love, at least not in a very long time. And, you know, if that's the case, God not only will go anywhere, but he also will send people, loving people, not people that will try to do something to you, but people that will try to help you understand what he can do in your life. So there's the where question, there's the who question, there's the what question. And, and this one, I mean, what's going on here? This is where this particular story is just so interesting. Do you notice what Jesus did? I mean, in other situations, he would say, be healed, and, and it was over. Or do you believe? Or take up your bed and walk. Or your sins are forgiven. Remember, there's many, many different ways. But in this situation, notice what he does. He takes him aside. Having lived with my dad after he lost his hearing, 
I can easily understand how really embarrassed a, a person who can't hear can become in a, in a crowd because so much is going on and so much is happening so quickly and they don't, they don't hear, so they don't understand what's happening. So Jesus, in his gentleness and his intentionality, takes him aside. And then notice what else he does. He puts his fingers into the man's ears. What, what's going on here? It's like a pantomime, isn't it? He's saying to this man who cannot hear, there's a reason to believe something good is going to happen. Don't you love this? It's so typical of Jesus. You see, he understands our big challenge in life is to believe. That's the big challenge. I mean, we can do all kinds of things, uh, maybe not so easy sometimes, but if we're desperate enough, we can do them. But to believe that he cares about us, to believe that he's going to work in our life, that's something altogether, something different. And here he's trying to give this man some indication that, that it's worth believing, trusting in him. And then, and this is a, a little offensive to us when we first read it, he spits and puts some spittle on the man's tongue. Well, unlike those of us who have lived through and to a certain extent still in a pandemic, for people back then, they believed spittle had healing power. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, just get ready. Something good is going to happen. And then he speaks apophata, which means be opened. And this man can hear and he can speak. It's like his tongue is loose. That's what it means, be loosed. His tongue is loosed and he can hear. I thought to myself, did that man hear those words? You know, when, when did he, when, when was he able to hear for the first time? I tend to think it was at the moment Jesus started to speak. He's pantomimed all of what he's going to do. He realizes somehow, because Christ had this ability to sense when people had faith, when they believed, he has realized this man has faith, and he gives him the privilege of the first words he hears are words that come from the master of the universe. Don't you love this? No matter how difficult it is for someone in their life, God has a message of hope for them. That is the wonderful, wonderful message here. So we've looked at the where, we've looked at the who, we've looked at the what. Um, there's one more part. I call it the wow sometimes. Because the people that were there were so amazed at what they saw, what they saw that all they could do is exclaim. He does everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who can't speak. And they're overcome with wonder, the word tells us. That's fascinating. The word that's translated there, overcome with wonder, is this is the only place in the Greek 
that we find it. I mean, not just in the Bible, but in the Greek. Uh, and it, it means you're just, it's, it's just too much to take in. And so we have this wow. And, and the people, though they are asked not to say anything, what they've just, um, what they just seen is so wonderful that they can't keep it to themselves. And you will find this true. I mean, sometimes people are a little hesitant at first to, to testify, as we call it, or to witness what's gone on in their life. But give them a little time, and pretty soon they, they have to find some way to talk about what God's done in their life. And, and if it's a long time since you felt the touch of love in your life, you know, maybe God wants to touch you again today because he wants you to have something to exclaim about. Now, Christ didn't want him to say much because he was at the point in his ministry where people too quickly were trying to make him sort of a military king, and, and his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. He had a much bigger job to do than defeat the Romans. And so that, of course, produced some uh, uh, complications for Jesus at the time. But, but these people couldn't keep it to themselves. In fact, where they say he does everything well, it's like it's a flip back to the seventh, I mean, the sixth day of creation. You know, every other day of creation in Genesis, when God creates the world, God looks and says it's good. And then in the sixth day, he says it's very good. So this is not just good, this is fantastically good. You know, that's, that's what my mom, out of a, a home that was only not broken because that long ago, not a lot of people split up. My mom coming out of a home where she could say her mother, she thought, loved her, was committed to her, but didn't really like her. My mom could know the touch of the love of God such that it transformed her life and she's now with Jesus. And I was thinking as we have Holy Communion this morning and that's what we move to now, this is just a great moment for us in our own heart of hearts as we come and receive the communion elements just to say thank you, God. Thank you that you have, you have touched me with love through Jesus Christ. I have hope for the future. I have joy for today. I have a way of going. I mean, bad stuff happens, but you are always with me in the middle of it. It's just a moment to say, thank you, Lord, for that. And then to say, Lord, give me a way to help other people understand it. In fact, in that moment, there may be somebody in your heart and mind that you just want to give to Jesus as you receive these this bread and this juice, you just want to give that person to Jesus in your heart and mind and say, Lord, I want to believe that you can transform them too, because he can. And you're not the only one that cares about them. That's the marvelous way God has put this world together. Somebody you don't even know is probably also praying for them. That's just so beautiful to me. But you can give them to the Lord today in your heart and mind and pray, Father, would you just let me be part of the process?
of them understanding how much you love.